like, how easy is it to be like, oh, I want them now. And then like the next day be like, throw them away. They'll even sell you the big trash can, same day delivery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they'll sell you the service to haul it away. Welcome to Love in Brief, a brief ABDL advice podcast focused on issues of love. Love for yourself, love for your community, love for your partners, romantic love, friendship love, just 88 keys of white and black pearl love. And I am one of your hosts, Resonant Yes. And I'm your other host, Road Not Taken. You just... Jim Brickman love? Is that what you're talking about? I guess it's not Pearl. It's supposed to be Ivory, but that kills elephants. So Aww. now it's Pearl love. Which only kills oysters. Which kills oysters. It's not getting better. <laughs> um, so this week, we are going to talk about a yet another topic that I have a heart for because I certainly have been through it. And I think a lot of people on our podcast or those who listen to our podcast have. And I'm really excited to have our special guest who's going to do a little bit of storytelling with us about their own experience. We're going to talk about about what happens when you repress or ignore your ABDL kink and the side of you that comes with this ABDL stuff. And so we should probably start by introducing our guest. Our guest is our friend, Beach Baby One. Um, we're going to henceforth call, call him BB1, BB1, which is like BB8, but you know, like the OG. Like BB8? the, yeah, the original The BB8. original BB. Minus seven. Minus seven. And Beach Baby One comes to us from FetLife and said it was just fine if you reach out to him on there. Mm -hmm. And um, BB One and RY have been communicating um, back and forth for a while. And um, he's here to discuss uh, his own experience mm -hmm. and um, maybe help um, by giving tips and tidbits to people who might be going through this repression um, mm -hmm. thing right now. So I wonder if you can tell us a little bit about your love. Lately, uh, my, uh, I've been loving my German shepherd. Her name's Diesel. She's amazing. And, uh, uh, when I've had a bad day at work or something awful's happened, you know, there's nothing better than being greeted by the absolute love and unconditional love of your dog when you get home from work. It's just the best. Pupper. Like when they're butt oh, wags, yeah, they're so happy to see you that they just become like little elbow macaronis back and forth for a while. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that. I like when their tail wags so hard it hits them in the face, but they just can't stop enough uh -huh. to like get it under control. Nor do they necessarily know that where it's coming from. It's just in the way. <laughs> so so we, you know, we always list types of love at the beginning. We need to start listing dog love. Dog love. It's it, the purest type of love. Or cat indifference, which is about the closest thing they get to love. A cat is just a tiny tiger that lives in your house. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's just waiting for you to die so it could have a long, big meal. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> cat haters, please don't. Sorry. Or, sorry, cat lovers, don't yeah. send us any emails. Uh, so oh. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about your experience with repressing and ignoring your ABDL side. And, and we'll have a little bit of story time here. Mm -hmm. T tell us a little bit about that arc for you when when did it start and how did you know what was happening sure uh well i'm gonna steal somebody else's description here and uh say that uh this came basically factory loaded for me you know I, i'd done what everybody else had done when i was younger i'd gone gone to walmart and bought the uh, package of depends which suck and you know feel bad about it the next day throw it away but i got into a uh, in industry, I had a job where literally if I got found out, I could be fired. Although being uh, any sort of kink 
wasn't tolerated. Drinking heavily after work was. So I was like, eh, all right, you know, I'm going to hang out with the guys and I'm going to go out and have a few drinks. But, uh, you know, when you repress something that you that you need and and I need ABDL time. So can I ask, how did you discover that it was a need and not just a, uh, you know, some people think, Oh, it's just a sexual kink or, you know, it's just this, this weird perverse thing that I shouldn't be into. And and now you're describing it as a need. How did you know that it's actually a need for you? If I don't have that outlet, I still don't like, I'm still not okay with showing vulnerability or being taken care of 99% of the time. And, Without that outlet, it just, it does not work well. I am very familiar with that feeling. Yeah, I totally feel that. I've never been okay with not being self-sufficient or being okay by myself. And uh, getting into, getting into that little, that little headspace lets me relax and okay, I don't have to be in charge. I don't have to be worried about everything right now. So, so this, this repression, you said even early on of letting others take care of you sort of shows up as an adult as, so I, I have to create time to take care of myself this way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know if I don't make time, it's, it's going to tell on me. Uh, my temper will get very short. Know, and I'll be all stressed out and angry about everything if I don't make myself take the time to, you know, get into a headspace where it's like, okay, I can actually relax. It's great that you're so self-aware. I mean, that you're paying such close attention yeah. to your own moods and feelings that you can tell when it's time. My life is so much better now that I know when, okay, you, okay, buddy, you're stressed out, you're tired, you're angry. Let's go get your get your stuff and let's put on a Disney movie and a and a dip and I'm trying to figure out how to describe it. It's like when I I can play I play both sides in my head where I'm both the little and I'm because I'm on my own and like and and the big uh, I'm kind of trying to just I can carry on a two I carry on a two sided conversation with myself. I think our why does that sometimes. Too. I do that. I, I do that, and I have a partner that I live with who's great at taking <laughs> care of me. But I do it too. I think it, it can feel wonderful. So, how did it show up with regards to your work? I mean, it sounds like you were in a type of a job where everybody had close scrutiny. Was it was it was the job helping or exacerbating the way that you you felt this sort of stress level? It was about one of the most stressful jobs that you could possibly do. Mm. So you have this highly stressful position and it's a position where you don't feel safe, even within the privacy of your own home doing ABDL stuff. Oh yeah. Um, so what did, uh, what did repression look like for you during this time, during this time when your job was so stressful and you felt like you couldn't have an outlet? What did it look like in your everyday life? Basically, uh, the more stressed out and angry I got, the more I drank, and the more I drank, the worse I felt. <laughs> and I, it was like a big positive feedback loop where the only thing that was socially acceptable at work to deal with, always feeling on and having to be in charge and aggressive and invulnerable, was when we was when I could drink, and I liked to drink. <laughs> I used to anyway. <laughs> 
I, I totally hear that. Like it's, it's acceptable to walk into work as a quote unquote normal person and say on a Wednesday morning, Oh my God, I got so shit faced last night. I'm hungover. All right, let's get to work. It is more acceptable to say that than, well, I have a sexual kink that really serves as a really healthy outlet for me. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, uh, you could come in every day saying you went out and got shit faced the night before. And as long as you weren't drunk, they didn't care. No, sometimes you even get high fives for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like socially, it's like, yeah, yeah, a guy can drink. But if you're like, hey, I have this other way of taking care of myself, it's like, well, you're fired. Yeah, pretty much, unfortunately. And I think what you're describing, I, I'm certainly familiar with myself, which is self-medicating. I was self-medicating because I didn't have any other way to deal with it. But ironically enough, what you're afraid, what you're self-medicating for, you're more likely to cause the results you're afraid of if you're self-medicating. Will you tell us more about that? Uh, yeah, uh, I'd had a particularly stressful day at work. I'd gotten in trouble for something I didn't, uh, I actually didn't do, uh, our power had gone out for most of, uh, most of the day and it just was not fun. I get home, I get an angry phone call. So I, I start drinking, uh, if one's good, 72 must be better. So I drove out to the store and I got beer, got more beer, drove home, drank. Uh, I went back, I decided to drive back out to the, uh, store. I got pulled over and, uh, arrested for DUI. That was a wake up call. Oh, that is a wake-up call. So that has all kinds of legal, social, personal, and perhaps... Monetary. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> even employment the ramifications, potentially. Yeah, uh, in my case, I bonded out of jail and got a phone call saying my, uh, uh, my job is no longer there. So ironically, I was worried about getting caught and found out and losing my job. And uh, through repressing it, uh, I developed another problem. Uh, a drinking problem, which ended up causing me to lose my job. So it's, if there's one thing I've learned, if you repress it, what you're afraid of is going to happen anyway. It's just not going to happen in the way you intended. What an irony. Yeah. And, and for you, you're, you're, I mean, there's lots of reasons that people develop um, drinking problems. And um, for you, you're saying you really see a pretty direct connection between your repression of this side of you and the drinking problem. Definitely. Uh, I witnessed a pretty direct correlation, ironically. Yeah. And I imagine in a moment, I, I want to get to, I mean, I, w- we'll spend a little bit of time with the fallout, but I want to get to the difference if you don't repress, because I think that could tell us something about what happens. You know, it's sort of a loose scientific method. If you change one thing, what is the outcome and how is it different? Um, like, how are you feeling now versus how you were feeling then? Yeah. And I want to get to that, but I do want to allow a moment for, were there, were there other signs, s- things that showed up in your life because of the repression? Uh, I, uh, started pushing literally everybody away. Even before I started drinking all that much, I was just like, you know, no, I don't like people. I found myself becoming very isolated because I, my temper got quite out of, pretty out of control, you know? Even before the drinking was a part of your, your coping mechanism. Yeah. Even before it was like, you know what? No, I just don't like, I don't want to be around people. Just leave me alone. If I can't be happy in who I, 
subconsciously. If I can't be happy in who I want to be, you know, I don't want happy people around me. <laughs> Especially if those people around you are the reason you can't be you. If it feels like no one will accept you and then you don't want to be around anyone. Definitely. I can totally identify going through a period of that and mm. getting very dark and pushing people away. And that just, that's not my nature. Some people just like to be alone all the time. That's fine. I just wasn't one of those people. So BB one, you have told us what it's like to feel, um, fully feel that repression of your, um, kinky side of the side of you that takes care of yourself in the way that you need. Will you tell us what it's like now that you're taking care of yourself in the way that you need and what it's like not to repress and what it's like to live a life where you can just fully be your whole self. And how did you pull out of it to get to that place? Yes. How did you pull out and how are you now? The way I pulled out was, uh, after I get, after I got my DUI, I sat there and kind of took stock. It's like, well, I can see, uh, this is going to go one of two ways. Either I get okay with who I am or, uh, which is a long, happy road, uh, or hey, you keep going down this path and it's short and it's not going to end well. And, uh, knowing you, uh, you know, knowing myself, it's like, yeah, if I go down that road, it's probably only going to be a couple of years before I destroy myself. So, uh, I had to sit there and, and take stock. It's like, yeah, I'm going to choose not, I'm going to choose to do what's going to make me happy long-term, not short-term. So you saw sort of the handwriting on the wall and made a choice to be happy. Yeah. But kudos to you for not knuckling down and saying, you know what, I, I'm too far gone. I'm just going to keep drinking and I'm, mm -hmm. I'm doing what I'm doing and I can't get off this path. It takes a really strong person to get off of a path. Like that's so much harder than just staying still and not making progress. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. Kudos on that. And um, once you started those sort of caretaking, self-care activities, how did life change for you? I didn't wake up every day, look in the mirror and hate the person that I saw. Uh, and like I said, I was before I was, I like to be alone about half the time, but uh, I was alone all the time and I started I made some new friends and hung out with old friends who I found out actually care about me. Uh, you find out who your real friends are when uh, you don't have a driver's license and you need a ride to, your, to the grocery store. And to be clear, it's, you're not saying you went and made a bunch of kinky friends. These are, these are folks from your normal life that you just felt like you could reach out to again. Definitely. And like other people have said, I'm very selective about who I tell about this side of me, but those that I've told, if they don't accept it, then they weren't really my friends anyway. Have you found that most of your friends have shown up for you when you tell them? I've only really had one negative experience and it was because I did the, it was the first time I tried to tell somebody and did the, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, the first time This is the worst thing well. ever. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, you apologize like you had done something terrible. <laughs> The majority of people who I've told, and you have to be smart about who, who you tell, have been accepting and like, well, it's not my thing, but if it makes you happy, go for it. And want to have dinner on Saturday? <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? 
how about your your sort of day to day happiness, your your happiness at work, your success at work? Have those things been impacted? I switched industries and to an industry where nobody cares what you do in your off hours, which is amazing. As a result of being able to engage in ABL play in my in my off time, I'm actually more productive and happier at work. Make more money now than I used to, ironically, and I actually enjoy my job. I just want to jump up and down and cheer for you. That's so wonderful. Like, that's so cool. I mean, it's, it, it almost sounds like an infomercial for like a miracle tonic where it's like, you know, I stopped drinking. I reconnected with my friends and became more social. I love myself more. I am better at work. I'm more productive. I make more money. All I had to do was stop hating myself for my kink. Exactly. I mean, if you hate yourself, you're not really living at that point. You're just kind of surviving and existing you know not to throw out something that's anything that's too cliche but it's true no it's absolutely true i think if you're not really being who you are then the only thing that you're doing for the world is apologizing for yourself every second and it doesn't always look like sorry 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 sometimes it looks ugly like get away from me and don't be around me or you know i'm really angry and I think the moment you stop doing that, everybody benefits. Can I tell you, this is like the center of the reason that we do this podcast is just for that acceptance. Like this is the story that I think so many of us have gone through. And this is the hope is that voices like yours and ours and the others can continue to reinforce for folks. You are acceptable as a person with an ABDL kink. You already are acceptable. And you don't have to go tell your boss and throw a diaper on their desk and, you know, run to all your friends and call your mom and say, everybody has to accept me, uh, as an ABDL. You just start with you, just start with you. And that rather than being less lovable, once you start caring about that side of yourself and nurturing it, then you actually become more exciting and more excited about life and you give more to the world and you have more experiences in the world and you're better for it and everyone else is better for it once you accept the side of yourself that you need to yeah and that goes for any part of yourself that's that's true and real it's not just an abdl kink absolutely it's just that this is one we tend to cram down and repress and treat like it's bad i'm not interested in changing the world's stigma about it i'm interested in changing the hearts and minds of people with an ABDL kink who are stigmatizing themselves. I'm, I don't need the world to say it's okay. Mm. I need to believe that we're okay. Cause I know we are. Yeah, exactly. Well, BB one original BB eight. Thank you so much for joining us today. You have been so such a joy to talk to and to hear from. And I love that you told us your story with so much, compassion for yourself and humility and just openness. It's so hard not to clam up whenever you're talking about hard times and you were just really open and honest. And I really appreciate that. And thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of love and brief. And if you like this, boy, do we have good news for you. We're coming back to Capcom this year. You're going to hear another special announcement right here on the feed. But uh, we're doing Capcom live show on Sunday at 1 o'clock Capcom time. 
and we would love for you to join us. We did it last year. We had just so much fun with a huge room full of people. We're going to be on the main stage and we want you there. And I'll be wearing brand new, super fancy baby clothes. Is that true? Wait, am I buying brand new, super fancy? Who said? We'll talk this offline. I I was told that if you say it on on the air, then it's real. Mm. It's got to be true. You have to do it now. We'll see. Either way, we can't wait to see you there. And just a quick reminder that all of our Love and Brief episodes are transcribed. They usually come out a couple of weeks after the podcast. You can find those by going to transcripts.loveandbriefpodcast.com. We did that for you and for anybody who might benefit from being able to read the podcast instead of listen. And the amazing Valentily does those transcripts for us, which is Wonderful. Thanks, B. All right. Well, that's enough promoing at the end of this episode. Huge thanks to Beach Baby One, who you can find on FetLife. And uh, huge thanks to you for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode of Love in Brief. <laughs>